Hello and welcome to episode 262 of Smarts, which as you know stands for... Sentimental Mandalorian acquiesces reluctantly to Skywalker. Oh, very good, but I think that's kind of a spoiler. Yes. Well, that's not... Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, not sorry, sorry. Okay, anyway, I am your host, Julia Gulley of Internet Fame-Podcaster, and with me as always is Trevor, a.k.a. Rudiger Q Podcaster. Hello. Hi. Ready for some news? I am ready. So the only news we have this week is the unveiling of DC's uh, so-called Infinite Frontier Initiative. So okay. this is what's going to be following their future state event which is going to be in January and February. So Infinite Frontier is basically the banner for their big line-wide relaunch in March. Okay. So it's not going to be a reboot of any kind. I think, I mean, Death Metal, the ending of Death Metal is obviously going to set stuff up. We're getting more and more of an idea of what that is as we get closer to the end of Death Metal. It seems like it's going to be all-inclusive, you know, everything counts, all all of history is mm -hmm. remembered or something like that. It seems like it. Um but nothing is going to be too drastically changing direction or it's not like, oh, everybody is now everybody is 12 years old or now everybody is 90 years old. It's mm -hmm. not going to be like that. Um, it's going to be new creative teams on pretty much every book. Um, the line's going to look a little different. A lot of the main titles are going to be back. It's kind of what we expected when we heard that they were going to be pairing, that there were so many you know firings and so on. They're probably going to be pairing down the line. So, you know, Action Comics, Superman, Detective Comics, Batman... Wonder Woman, Flash. These these titles are going to continue, but instead of more instead of books focused on like second or third tier sort of side characters, like Red Hood or the Outsiders, for example, in the Batman side of things. Yeah. Those stories will be folded into seemingly either backups or anthologies. So most of the main titles will have a backup story in them. Um, so for example, one of the main Batman titles will have a Damien backup story in it that follows what he's doing. And then Batman is going to have a, uh, anthology specifically that will have like an outsider story and a Red Hood story and stuff like that in there. So that's where you're going to get some of those. So it'll be whatever, 40 or 50 pages a month and you'll get like a 10 or 12 page story about each of those, each of those characters. Yep. Um, some some exciting new uh, creative teams for some of the books. It looks like Bendis is taking over Justice League uh, with a lineup that looks like it's going to include Black Adam, Hippolyta, Naomi, yep. Green Arrow, Black Canary, and really interesting looking lineup. Um, one of the ones I'm most excited for is Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo taking over Nightwing, you know, our, uh -huh. our beloved Suicide Squad creative team moving over to Nightwing. That's going to be great. I think that that's a really good fit. Um, Jim's Tiny is, con Tiny and is continuing on Batman, but that's pretty much the only creative team that's staying. Yep. Uh, he and Jorge Jimenez are continuing on Batman. Pretty much everything else is changing. Um, the the Some of the promo art they've released teases some interesting characters. So the Batman art has Damien in his current sort of gray and white, no superhero identity outfit. Um, it's got Cass and Stephanie in their Batgirl costumes, which is great. It, it's got Barbara sitting there as Oracle. So it really seems like they're moving more in that direction. Um, the, uh, the Superman art has got, you know, all the super boys on there and everybody you would expect. Um, it, it seems like they're, they're going to be focusing more on Wally West in the main flash title, which is good news for me. Um, the, the main infinite frontier preview art, uh, is, has a few interesting inclusions because Alan Scott and Jade and Obsidian, his kids are on there, which is interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, Glad to see the JSA characters and their legacies getting more of a spotlight, but that's sort of like why them and not, you know, I, I can't remember if Jay Garrick was on there, but of all the JSA characters, why them and not, you know, I don't know, Wildcat or whatever, you know. Um, the the quote-unquote next Batman, the African-American Batman from Future State is on there right alongside Bruce Wayne, so it seems like that's going to be a thing in the main present titles going forward too, is there might be like this young second Batman out there. Um and it seems like Wonder Woman is kind of like this presence, like Mufasa-like presence in the clouds looking down on everybody. Mm -hmm. So based on where Death Metal is going, it, maybe she's going to... I, there's still going to be a Wonder Woman title. It's still going to focus on her. But I think she's going to like... My guess would be that she's going to sacrifice herself in some material way and ascend to some higher plane. And her title will focus on on what she's doing there and 
the characters that are left behind, including like Donna and Cassie and Steve Trevor and this new Yara Floor, mm-hmm. um, South American Wonder Girl. Um, so that seems like because she's not in the Justice League either. Like when we said Hippolyta, it looks like she's the you know Wonder Woman legacy character in the Justice League. Right. So a bunch of interesting changes. Some of the new creative teams look look interesting. Yeah, it seems good. I mean, I'm, I don't I don't want another reboot, so I'm glad it's just yeah like put new creative teams on everything, refresh it, change the mix up the lineups of the team books. Um, backups are, are, are always a cool thing. Like it feels like a little bonus when you read a, a book, but they've tried doing backups as a line wide thing before. And, and usually it just in the past it's failed because people would rather spend $3 for 20 pages than $4 for 30 pages. Even if it's percentage wise it's a better deal people yeah. still want the lower price tag yeah. you know yeah um i don't know it's just like it but maybe the fact that stuff as much is digital these days a lot of it is digital these days and stuff like dc universe will be there to get like some the back catalog revenue boosted i don't know maybe it'll be different these days um maybe they've got i mean if the backups are enticing then that's good but i don't know the, the fact that the the prices are probably going to be going up as a result might be enough to sour the publishers on that idea after six months or so of trying it, but but maybe not. Yeah, no, it's it seems like an interesting thing. What what sort of jumps out at you from some of the the art that I've shown you and some of the the things that I've mentioned? To um, you about I'm it? excited that a lot of the characters. I I like the concept more than anything else because I like the fact that so right now one of the minuses, the drawbacks of the current system is that somebody who's buying a Batman book is only reading about Batman. And yeah, they they read like a few lines from Damien or the few lines from Nightwing or something. But they don't get a nice grasp of what those characters are about. So if you consolidate them, you've got a six-month period where the people, the same people who are loving on Batman get to know a good Nightwing story. And they're like, wait a minute, is this what was in the Nightwing books that I've been missing? And then if slash when it splits up again, um, they're more likely to buy the Nightwing stories just because they were so good in the backups. And so I think that that's a nice bit of exposure for the characters that sometimes don't get to reach the audience just because, you know, some people just are are faithful loyalists to the the comics that they read and they don't really branch out as much and they're missing out on a whole bunch of good comics like we're lucky enough to be able to read all of the ones that come out that's that's our hobby that's what we do that's what we like and we invest our time and money into into doing that but not everybody can slash wants to but um it's it's a good deal of stories that are not being read by some people who really might enjoy them. If they like a certain character, they might like the related characters too. So I think that's that's probably the most thing, the most exciting thing for me. I know from the preview art I showed you and the things that I've talked about, are there any characters that are like, oh, it's I'm really glad that that character looks like they're getting more of a spotlight, or or I'm glad that character is getting their own. I'm excited. Title or... I mean, I just mentioned Damien. I think that that's going to be exciting to read. Um, I'm excited to read the uh, the wonder, the new wonder. Uh, is her name going to be Wonder Girl or Wonder Woman? Well, it's Wonder Woman in Future State. And then okay. in the, the, when they move back to the present in March, it'll be Wonder Girl. But I supposedly she's getting her own title, too. Well, I'm excited what, to read about her. Yeah, I'm excited to read about her just because um, I love the Wonder Woman character. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read something new from that same um, idea. A couple of mythology. the other things they announced are a Joker ongoing series by James Tynion and a, I love James and a Crime Syndicate of America origin story, a six issue miniseries. So that'll Ooh. be interesting also. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see if the JSA characters get, get more spotlight. I'm excited to see Wally West get more of a spotlight again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wally West is your like your homeboy you're, he's your he's your we, one of your favorites we the one thing the one area i mean we haven't gotten news of a new aquaman title yet but i have to assume there's going to be one um we haven't heard anything about the green lantern side of things that's like the one main tentpole franchise and that they haven't announced creative teams for yet to my knowledge maybe they're letting i mean because grant morrison's um green lantern season two doesn't wrap up. I'm trying to think of when it would wrap up. I think it wraps up in February or March. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're waiting. So I guess maybe next month would be when we would hear about what the new creative team on a relaunched Green Lantern series was going to be. I think they're sort of letting him finish that story right. rather than confuse it by having a Infinite Frontier Green Lantern number one mm-hmm. in March mm-hmm. alongside, you know, the Green Lantern season two number 11 or something. And right. have it be like, wait, which one is the main one? And right. sort of confuse things. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, the other thing I did mention is they seem to be giving um, a lot of fresh creators, like people that haven't worked for DC before, people that have worked mainly for Marvel, people that came up through independent comics, and mm-hmm. people that have worked on other... Like, there's there's returning names, like Tom Taylor on Nightwing, James Tynion continuing on Batman and doing Joker, Bendis moving over to Justice League, but the writers, the writers for Flash, a lot of the other Batman stuff... Mm-hmm. Um, these are all people that have not really done significant work for DC before. Um, the the writer that's taking over both Superman books, I think his name is Philip Kennedy Johnston. He's done some stuff like black label stuff for DC, but none of the main DC Universe stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems like an interesting guy, and he seems like he's got a really good take on the characters. What's interesting is that a lot of the future state, in addition to introducing characters like the new Batman and the Yara Floor, Wonder Woman, and then showing them younger in the present come March. Right. It also seems like it's it's a test bed for some of these creators. Like the people that the people oh, interesting. like the guy that's taking over both Superman titles in March is the same guy that's doing some of the future state Superman stuff in January and February. Okay. So what that lets them it lets them sort of get their feet wet with the characters and, and lets the readers sort of try out their their take on the characters. But it also lets them set stuff up, plant seeds for then when they start their main run in March, you kind of know like where oh this is this up. is this is mm-hmm. where these characters are going to be in this in this writer's mind ten oh, years from now so we sort of yeah, see exactly. you know what I mean yeah so they're like oh that's where that character and Stephanie was Phillips Stephanie Phillips thing. is a writer yeah. I'm not familiar with but she's taking over Harley Quinn she's doing the Future State Harley Quinn stuff Philip mm-hmm. Kennedy Johnson like I said is doing this some the the Future State Last Son of Krypton thing or whatever it's called and then he's taking over the main Superman titles in March I think the writer doing the Flash Future State stuff is the same guy taking over in March so it's a lot of Right. Carry over there. Like that's sort of a way of easing the readers and the and the creative teams into those characters and then they can sort of hit the ground running and march with it. So that right. seems to be the other purpose that the, the future state stuff is serving, aside from setting stuff up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it seems interesting. it's it's my kind of relaunch. And the, the infinite frontier, I think the idea and I think you're getting this idea from death metal too, is kind of like blue skies. Not mm-hmm. in the sense that everything everything's gonna be happy and cheerful, like there's gonna be drama. Yeah. But like infinite possibilities you know like it's not gonna be like oh this is a reboot and all these characters don't exist anymore and all these stories like it's the opposite of that like this is going to be like you know anything can happen anyone you know yep any anything anyone can reappear any story can count you know like it seems to be much you know inclusivity seems to be both in terms of like diversity in terms of like the characters and the creative teams like right. bringing in new talent that's not necessarily all just white men but also in terms of like the sheer possibilities of what the stories can be because now they can pull from anything you know right and yeah. that's the kind of stuff i like to see so yep i'm excited about it yeah that's so, gonna be exciting yeah so what was your comic of the week so um you and i can't remember you picked batman number 105 <laughs> Which I was did. the conclusion of the, I forget what the, it was called Ghost Stories, but it was the whole arc with oh, the Ghost yes. Hunter. Oh, yes. This was a tight, yeah, and then an honorable mention for the last Nightwing story. Yeah, Nightwing because 77. it was so good. It was such a nice Christmas story. Um, I'm a bleeding heart. So um, absolutely that that storyline where he helps people. He helped not just the couple, the the mother and the daughter that needed it, but also like everybody that was affected by, you know, events. It was just a really heartwarming story. And I was like, oh, man, more of more of this in the world, please. Um, But no, uh, I ultimately chose Batman for two reasons. One, I didn't see the twist coming where I'm going to spoil it, um, where where Batman actually winds up recruiting Ghostmaker. I didn't see that coming. I thought it was just going to be another bad guy for him to fix, another ghost from his past that he puts down, no pun intended. But um, or and also the but uh, sorry, I'm rambling because I'm trying to follow two trains of thoughts at the same time. Um, Two trains of thought. (laughs) Um, So I I love the ghost makers um, quips and and uh, reasonings behind his actions i thought that was very interesting um the conceit of the character is very interesting um and overall i really enjoyed that part of it but then also and as much as i knew that the predictable you know you've got a situation in a in a closed room how is batman going to get out of it bow is free to kill harley if he wants to and he definitely wants to because the joker killed his parents so um you know, but you know that Batman's going to somehow reach in through, but it was Harley. It was Harley who did it. And not only that, but she was already free. She could have kicked his butt because he really wasn't a threat. He's just a, he's just an angry boy with no training. Um, and he has some fighting skills, but not, not enough to conquer these two people who are really, um, 
you know, professionals in, in what they do, professional fighters. He can't take on the pros. He can take on the thugs, but he can't take on a pro. And he's outmatched, but Harley, instead of beating him up or anything like that, she just explains where she is in her life, where she is in her arc. And she she's so honest and open and raw that it actually gets through to Bao because he wants to believe that it's all a binary situation but it's not so clear-cut it's not so black and white and so when he meets a former clown who is no longer doing bad who did some horrible things but owns them and is trying to amend for them trying to be better in the future and going forward and in the present and and he, she, she just tells him that that's where she is in life, but she has it coming. And if he really, really needs this to find some closure, then he's welcome to kill her if he wants to. And he just can't do it because he sees the humanity in her. And that kind of messes him up a little bit more, but it also puts him on a right path in a way that even Batman had trouble doing. Oh, I'm, I'm in tears, like, just thinking about it. It was just such a good scene for her. And it was a good issue of the book so that's why i liked it so much very good how about you what'd you pick so i picked dark knight's death metal number six nice choice um this one was mostly i mean there wasn't a lot of like action in this one it was most this is sort of like kind of the calm before the storm i mean there's you know it's like uh, the uh, the armies are massing and the wonder woman's trying to get to the thing to do the thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but I like, there's a lot of little moments here that I like. There's there's a lot of little moments between characters. There's moments where you see all the different sort of families stand up and like, oh, they think this is going to be their last stand because nothing's going to come and save them this time. And some cool dialogue between Wonder Woman and Darkseid. There's a nice moment at the end where it seems like everybody remembers everything, but we'll see if that sticks or not. But it's, it's, an, it's a nice thing to have in there. Yeah, I just like, I think the last issue is going to be really exciting too. The last issue is, the cover for it is really interesting because it's this current, you know, death metal Wonder Woman, um, sort of with her one hand up like this and, and meeting her hand kind of like a mirror image is like the classic Wonder Woman from her very first appearance, looking right. like she stepped right out of, that, out of that first comic. So that certainly seems like it's going to be like, you know, mm-hmm. she remembers everything. So we'll see what happens. But there's a lot of really great moments in here, a lot of nice moments between Superman and Batman and Superman and Lois and all the different characters. And yeah, it was it was good. Good. I'm glad you liked it. I liked it too. So should we move on to our activity? I'm ready. So this week, because we have the season finale of The Mandalorian to talk about, Aww. I thought we would rate The Mandalorian's legacy cameos. So characters from other series or movies that pop up in this series, and I thought we would rate them as far as like how well did they execute their first... Are we doing a scale? Like yeah, a one, one to, to ten. five one or to one ten. to ten? Okay. How, how, how well did they execute their first live action appearance or their first appearance in a long time or whatever whatever uh-huh. they end up being, okay? Yep. So number one, Boba Fett. How did you feel they did, they did by Boba Fett here? Such a perfect ten. Honestly, I have no no qualms, no issues with it. I thought it was really interesting. It leaves room for questions. He is a badass to the badassest degree. It's beautiful to see him fight with just a stick. And you you know that he earned his chops, that he knows how to fight, that the armor does not make the man DeLorean. But uh, <laughs> you're welcome. But um, that he, he really did. He he in his own right, just by himself with nothing but a stick can take out an entire squad of stormtroopers um, with little effort. And and then once he gets his armor, he's incredibly impressive. I love the way they handle the character. I also love the fact, I don't know, from what I learned from um, other channels that we watch on YouTube, for example, um, like Boba Fett has kind of a shady, kind of dark past um, sort of a mean streak in the comics and other literature, but I'm not I'm not familiar with any of that. And so the way he was here, where he's honor bound to help the Mandalorian because he gave his word to keep him and the kids safe in exchange for his armor returned to him, um, and he wants to uphold that deal, so he's going to tag along as long as it takes to keep his end of the bargain. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was cool that he saved Finn uh, Shenick, whatever her name is. What's her name? Fennec Shand. God, it's such a complicated name. I'm sorry, I can't remember it. Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand. Um, Ming-Na Wen's character. She's wonderful. And um, I just thought that that's interesting. It leaves room for backstories. And then, of course, the post-credit sequence, which I'm not going to spoil if you haven't seen it, because um, as well, much we'll, as... We'll talk about it, but <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about it when we get to the... Exactly. At that point, we'll blare the... We'll blare the spoiler horn. But yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> Boba Fett, perfect 10. Perfect 10. Love it. 
Yeah, I think it. yeah, I think nine or ten. I think that I think that a lot of times he's portrayed as being like a, a villain with a kind of a code of honor, like mm. maybe like a Rachel Ghoul or a Bane type. You know what I mean? Okay. Whereas, whereas here he's maybe more of like an antihero, like like a Red Hood character who's like he he crosses the line, but he's he's you know he's right. sort of an upstanding no guy good. generally. Yep. And so that's, you know, this, one I could argue there's sort of a thin character. line there, but mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of where they're going. But at, at the end of this, you know, maybe he's going off in a different direction. But OK, so, so so number two, Bo-Katan. Oh, Bo-Katan. Um, you know what? I'm going to give her a nine out of ten because I feel like there are some things that are left a little undone. Um, but I love first off, I love Katie Sackhoff and I love the writing on the show. I think that her. Her, between her performances and the writing for the show like they really treated the the source material well they treated her well I don't know how after so long uh being Bo-Katan but having a pretty significant break in there in which she did other roles she was able to slip back into the character so effortlessly because her voice and her tone and her body language like perfectly matched up with everything and then in an interview we heard how she was really paying attention to even the smallest details where her hair her headdress and even the scar she remembered in the animation um she wanted makeup department to make sure that she had that on her uh as well like she was really making absolutely sure that every single detail all the freckles were in the right place like that is such dedication and heart for the character of uh itself i love katie sackoff i i just i love her so much um and uh i mean she just she nailed it she nailed it but i feel like the writing for her character leaves a little bit left undone and i i, I have so many questions and i'm like oh i have a couple wish list items but we'll see we'll, well see this what is almost just like a three. tease i mean yeah, i'm sure season three is going to be much more heavy with right. her in there because i'm a, because of everything that this finale sets up one would think yes exactly um, okay so, n- so number three Ahsoka- wait wait you didn't rate it yeah i think i think probably also nine nine yeah oh, yeah so number three, Ahsoka Tano. Oh my God, 10. 10. Um, I love Ahsoka. <sighs> I love Ahsoka. Like, who doesn't, right? But um, I think that Rosario Dawson nailed it. Um, hmm. There were a couple spots where I would say, oh, I'm, I'm curious about the writing, but or there was a fight scene where it wasn't like exactly perfect. But honestly, her representation of it, her body language, her presence, and the way she was written... Um, and even down to the serenity on her face when she's just kind of mind speaking with Grogu on the rock before they even get back into his go- uh, into his uh, backstory and everything else. Like, she's just really, 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 really got a uh, handle over the character. And um, I just love seeing it. I really do. I think that it's pretty near flawless. So it's a between a nine and ten for me because of the little questions that linger. But honestly, ten. And I think that a lot of the a lot of the things that might seem a little off about her and Bo-Katan in terms of oh she seems different than I remember are can mm. be chalked up to the fact it's been five to ten years since we saw them uh-huh. you know since we saw her last at the end of Rebels, Rebels. and and well I guess yeah Both five to ten them. years and for and the same for for Bo-Katan yeah. too so they've been through a lot you know Bo-Katan lost the dark saber lost Mandalore yeah. Ahsoka you know lived through the entire galactic civil war and then had five has had five years of sort of being on her own and seeing the chaos in the galaxy that came after the empire's fall and that's a bummer so, yeah, yeah that's a hard road to so i think they're both go. sort of darker and more cynical than they were not cynical necessarily but sort of more weather beaten yeah yeah fate beaten yeah universe beaten okay so number four Wait, you didn't rate yeah nine i nine? guess nine yeah so number four luke skywalker oh um hmm I oh, I have such mixed feelings about this one. Um, I think the animation was a little bit, like you mentioned, like a little Marv Tarkin, especially when it comes to his... No, he's Marv Tarkin? Marv Tarkin, Moff. <laughs> he went from Muff to Moff to Moth to Moff again, and now he's Marv. Yes, he's he's had quite the journey in my book. Um, Marv Tarkin, I can't believe I said that. Okay. Um, no, I mean, his hair was a little bit CG um, as compared to, you know, what Luke Skywalker actually looked like. But um, that's a hard get. That's a hard thing to do. I think the, I don't know who the actor was. Um, you mentioned it, but I forgot. It fled out of my mind. Who the actual actor in the, um, doing all the body work, doing all the fight work and um, standing there and delivering the lines, but then Mark Hamill voiced over. 
Um, I don't know who that actor was, but they did a really good job of capturing the body language. And also, I think it was really neat to see um, Luke kind of come in and save the day and slice his way through the Death Troopers because I did not see that coming. Well, it's what everybody, I mean, we can talk about some of this. We can we can just actually segue right into talking we about should the probably. episode here. But I think that it's it's what everybody wanted to see yeah. and what what. The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, Jedi intentionally didn't give us because of where Luke was at that later point in his journey. Right. And, you know, what what everybody wants to see is like badass Jedi Master Luke Skywalker coming in and, and you know, basically taking everybody apart. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you how do you show that while keeping his arc intact where at the end of Return of the Jedi, he basically laid his sword down and said, you know, I'm not going to fight anymore. Right. right? And then yeah. ultimately... You, he spends, you know, 30 years as a teacher and then he gets to Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and he doesn't even want to, even want to have anything to do with the Force anymore. Right, like he's right. the ultimate form. Of, and then when yeah. he finally does save everybody at the, at the, en- at the end, it's yeah. through, you know, Force projection and not by actually fighting or he doesn't, his, his Force projection doesn't even fight. He just stands there, yeah. right? Yeah. He's just there to talk basically and to yeah. stall. Yeah. So uh, what do you do? How do you, how do you show that he's kind of, at the height of his powers, but also kind of at the height of his hubris here, like before the fall of his Jedi temple yeah. and Ben and everything, yeah. is you have him take apart a bunch of droids, which is, you know, that's fine. That doesn't even sure. count, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of how you do it. But yeah, I think that I think that the CG didn't quite hold up because I think I think the diff- the reason why this doesn't hold up as well as some of the Marvel stuff where they DH people mm-hmm. is because there they have the actor and they can do the facial capture. Yes, yes. Here they were just like, well, take this other actor mm-hmm. and use CG to kind of make it look like Mark Hamill. Right, right. They, they did they a didn't mask have, They didn't have the Mark Hamill cap- there to do the motion capture. Right. So there was literally a computer generated, like a video game face. Yes, over it was. The, the, And, yeah. you know, they have skilled animators there, but it's not, there's a reason why going all the way back to, you know, Lord of the Rings with Andy right. Serkis, you've been using that facial capture because it really helps. And it they really couldn't does. use that here because they couldn't get Mark Hamill in the stu- in in. A, a mo- mocap done... studio because of COVID or whatever, right. or scheduling or whatever it was. Right. So he could record the lines from his home studio and send them in, and then they process them to make him sound younger. Right. I wonder but... why they didn't talk to the guys who do deep fakes. But then again, to do a really good one takes a very long time to process and render. I don't know, I, but it, still, like that—that that would have been. It an did idea. take me out of it. It's unfortunate because that would have been it, such a great moment if, if it if it was executed perfectly. That would have been so great. Yep. But as it was, I was like, wait. Is that is because I'm like wait is that a different actor is that Sebastian Stan is that, I know at is first that some I was other, like, yeah. is that some other guy and I'm like no it doesn't look like a real person it's it's so it's like they're trying to make it look like, like I was I was yeah I my was brain squinting. was occupied thinking about those exactly. things when I should have been in the scene which is not what you want but exactly. it's what they had to work with so it's fine they but did I the think best that they could in terms of like having him show up yeah. and like how appropriate it is that he showed up I think that as people didn't want to didn't want to think that he would show up because it either seemed like oh they're never going to do that right but I think it's perfectly logical and appropriate that he does show up because I who agree. the hell who, who else is it going to be like it makes sense that it's him yep. and we the audience if we're not going to see Grogu next season or we're going to see him less mm-hmm. we have the knowledge like oh he's he's with Luke like it's not if he went off with like Ezra or whatever like oh what if crap what if Ezra gets killed next week and you know but we know Luke is going to be okay for a while at least until right. it's another 20 years before his whole temple blows up um we know he's going to be okay for a while we know that Luke is trustworthy and so on so when Grogu goes with him we're able to be fully invested in the Mandalorian's emotional state and him saying goodbye and not like worrying about whether Grogu is going to be okay. Now, ultimately, we are worried about that because what if he was at the temple when Kylo Ren blew it up, right? Or Snoke blew it up or whoever did that right. on, on Kylo Ren's behalf. Um, and maybe we'll find out that eventually that he only spends like a few years at Luke's temple before it comes back to the Mandalorian. Now he's able to control his... Because like, he doesn't want to be a Jedi. Plus, that would take like 50 freaking years for him to even become right. an adult. Yeah. So maybe he gets enough control over his powers and Luke is like, okay, now you belong back with your dad, basically, right? So you go back to him and then it's he's not there when everything goes wrong in the, at the temple. Right. Um, but I think it's great that Luke shows up. I think it's appropriate. You know, I think they did it, you know, respectfully and appropriately with the music and the costuming and, you know, the the CG as best they could. And I think, I think it worked really well. Right. But the episode itself. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously the main thing to talk about, but most of the episode is, is action. You know, they infiltrate the, the Imperial ship. There's a lot of cool sort of run and gun fight sequences. Mm -hmm. You know, they're every, all the, all the other characters, all, which are all women, by the way, which is super cool. Yeah. Are sort of being the, the forward facing, you know, assault force while 
the Mandalorian is sort of sneaking around and trying to get to get to Grogu. But then he um, has an amazing fight scene too because oh, that was a good Well, there's a great fight yeah. scene where he's barely able to fight off one of these dark troopers while yep. flushing the rest of them out into space. And then of course the big threat later is oh, well, they're droids. They don't it doesn't matter that they're in the right. vacuum space. They're just going to come back. And I knew that that was going to happen. They come like, back I and they're going to kill everybody. Yep. Yep. But but then um but then the Mandalorian fights fights um Moff Gideon. And there's that great moment at the end. Well, first they do the fake where, oh, I'm going to let you take him. And then it's just a feint yep. so that he can get the drop on him. But then at the end, he disarms him and, and knocks him down and wins and, and forces him to yield. And I'm like, oh, crap. Because of the whole thing, like, yes. Bo-Katan was like, now remember, <laughs> don't you remember. eat this pie. It's like, yes. remember, I have to be the one that beats him. It's like, I don't care if he's dead. I don't care if you take him, if you, if you shoot him afterwards or if you sell him to some bounty hunter or if you hand him over to the New Republic for prosecution. I don't care what happens to him, but I have to be the one to beat him. And a specific reason why she said that yeah. is because whoever beats them is the fringing king or queen of Mandalore now, right? Uh-huh, but I didn't know that. And so I enjoyed it. I, I love that we had a different opinion, uh, a different experience with this because I forgot that. I completely forgot it. I did watch The Clone Wars. I do remember this. I remember something vaguely in my memory is kicking around about how Sabine sort of uh, surrendered the blade over to Bo-Katan. Well, it was a little more time, wishy-washy in Rebels it was a little because more wishy-washy, Sabine right. had the Darksaber for a while, but she wasn't the queen of Mandalore. She just found this thing Somehow. that she was then delivering back to the rightful leader of Mandalore. Right, right. So there, maybe it's a little different here. They're fudging it a little bit to make it more of like, but, you know... Maul claimed it when he killed the leader of Mandalore, right. and then he was the leader of Mandalore while he had right. it. And then when when Bo-Katan, you know, right, because when Ahsoka beat him, and then it went to Bo-Katan. Right, like, like that all Sabine makes didn't sense. Win it in combat, is what yes, you're saying. She I found guess it. Well, neither neither did Bo-Katan at that point. Like Te- technically, Sabine yeah. gave it back to Bo-Katan. And she's like, okay, now I'm the leader Let's again. Re- Whereas here, her attitude is different. But maybe it's like, well, that didn't work last time. Yeah, because we got our bus kicked. So now it. maybe I have to have a bit more of a visible win in order uh-huh. to convince everybody to rally behind me. Who knows? Yeah, so well, it's a we'll little see. different, but that doesn't really matter. Um, so but that's cool. And then he goes to Bo-Katan, and she looks like she's got this horror-stricken look on her face. I'm like, yeah. man, is she gonna like? She's just gonna she's gonna try to kill him right now. Yeah. Like I l- literally thought she was gonna try to kill him. He doesn't know. He's like, I don't care. He's like, here, take it. Yeah. And 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 Gideon's like cracking up in the background, yeah. hemming it up almost a little too much, actually. I don't know. He, and he's no, kind, it was beautiful. And it's kind of like you don't understand, you fool. Like you have to, you have to. She has to win That's it in not combat. How it works. And he's like, fine, I yield. Here, take. Yeah, exactly. It. It's like he doesn't. He doesn't care. He doesn't no, have time for any of this care. stuff. But it's not that simple. So that's, I think this is obviously where the next season is going because we're putting the Grogu thing aside yep. at least temporarily for now. I think next season is going to be like the fight for Mandalore, basically, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's a Mandalorian too, so he should be in the fight for Mandalore. And why not as the leader? Why not? Yeah. I think, mm. honestly, I think it's, it's it would be very interesting to see a leader who doesn't want to be a leader because I think those make the best leaders sometimes. Um, and it would be very interesting to see that portrayed. Yeah, but there's this, there's the this, sort of, there's this tension in the fan king. base for the show where a lot of people really liked the show because it was focusing on like an unsung hero, like an, an everyman, like someone who wasn't a major player on the galactic stage. These were smaller scale side stories taking place in the middle of nowhere. And right. that's what they liked about it. Yeah. That this was like a hero who toiled in obscurity. Mm. And then there's there's people who who want the series to be like oh it's got to be the origin origin tale for this great hero of legend yeah and you can't really have it both ways you can't i mean you can't serve you, everybody you maybe kind of could where he has like he kind of becomes like a sabine type character where he facilitates bo-katan's return to power and like yeah. and he's like this great and that's hero, what he wants to but he's do. kind of like he he sort of like helps install her and then he leaves and nobody and he was nobody like remembers they wouldn't have won there. without him but nobody even remembers his name yeah. and he goes back to obscurity that might be one way to do it yeah we'll um, see we'll see um i don't yeah i don't know i'm excited to see this and i don't know it would be interesting i think alex on uh, uh well i love this i love this guy he's he does the help me help me star wars explained thank you um, yeah, yeah. So um, he mentioned a pretty interesting point that I didn't even consider is that would Bo-Katan, the character, even like she is all about putting Mandalore back together. She wants to fight for her home. She wants to reestablish it. She wants to lead. She wants to claim, you know, she wants to put it back in in order. But is she one of the people like do we how much do we really know about that motive? Because is she one of the people that would do it for Mandalore? Or does she want to be the leader of Mandalore, which is two different things when you think about it. So would she be supportive of a different leader in Mandalore? I think that if push came to shove, I think so too. she would support whoever was willing to get the job done. Yeah. It's just that she thinks that, and and not 
not without reason. Right. She thinks that she's the best person for that job. And so if she wants the job to get done, it has to be her. But I think if she was presented with suitable evidence that he could rally everyone as good as or better than she can, she would acquiesce to him, perhaps reluctantly, but ultimately. Um, But I, but I, because I think that she actually does, at the end of the day, she just wants her people to be made whole again. Exactly. Um, That's how I feel about it too. But seeing some But she also probably has like a little bit of a savior complex in there probably. Like it has to be her. She's part of the royal lineage, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But let's also talk about, before we move on, let's talk about the the goodbye moment, right? Between the Mandalorian and Grogu where he takes the helmet off. I mean, you had to have him do that, right? Like first you have him do it. A couple of episodes ago because there's no choice. Like Mm -hmm. the situation demands it. And now ultimately you have to have him do it when there's nothing at stake. It's just purely a personal choice. Right. And people were posting memes of like this sequence alongside the end of Return of the Jedi. Where Vader tells Luke to take his helmet off. He says, my son, let me look on you with my own own eyes. eyes, It's like basically the exact same thing here. right? Um, And to have Luke there maybe recognizing, seeing that bond. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the way that he had for a fleeting moment with his own father and yeah. seeing it here in these two people. Yeah. Like, it really it really works very well. That's one more reason why it works very well that Luke was the one that was there for this. You I know? love that Grogu was hesitant to go with Luke, even though he wanted to. He said, I don't think he wants to go with you. And he says, no, he's waiting for your permission. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he wants you to give And then R2 permission. rolls out, and that's what yeah. changes Grogu's mind, because he's like, I'm going to find a way to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> it might take me 50 years but i'm gonna get up in there um That's yeah hilarious. but i think it was and you know and and um yeah that blanking on his good. name give me a second pedro pascal yeah. sells the hell out of it oh, too just God. like I, I don't know how i mean all the actors on the show seem like they're in love with the puppet yeah. right but it must be hard still as like a serious actor to be standing there with this little green puppet in your arm and like openly weeping as if you're saying goodbye to your only son. Like yes. you can get yourself into that headspace, especially if like you're you're like a big Star Wars fan. You're like it seems perfectly logical to you that yes. this is the thing yeah. that you're doing. But like what a weird day on set that must be. Like here, yeah. hold this puppet and like and, openly and weep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think it worked really well. I agree. I, I think that, and of course, so let, before we move on, we got to talk about. So there's the end. There's the stinger <laughs> at the end. Oh yeah, where Boba Fett and Fennec go in and blast away, uh, fat Bib Fortuna there Which and take great. over Jabba the Hutt's throne. Yep. And so he's now in charge of like the Tatooine crime families, basically. I, I guess. Yes. And it says, um, coming. December 2021, the book of Boba Fett. Yep. And so then everybody's minds were blown, first of all, because they announced like 15 Star Wars shows last week and this wasn't one of them. Right. And now everybody was like, wait a minute. They said The Mandalorian Season 3 mm-hmm. was coming next Christmas. Yep. So, so is what this, is going on? Is this essentially The Mandalorian Season 3? Yeah. Or is this, were they lying and this is instead of The Mandalorian Season 3? Or are we getting both in next December? Mm-hmm. As unlikely as Lots that seems. Lots of questions. So it was very unclear. John Favreau gave an interview yesterday. I think they were waiting for the weekend to let people see it before they started talking about right. it openly in the press when it would become harder to avoid spoilers. Right. So he says that the book of Boba Fett, you know, it is indeed coming next December. It is not The Mandalorian Season 3. The Mandalorian Season 3 starring Pedro Pascal is still a separate thing that's happening. They're filming the book of Boba Fett right now. They're going to be filming Mandalorian Season 3 after that. Okay. So I think the plan... So what the only thing that was a little long. So it's good at least that this is not the end because it could be this is the end. The surprise. This is the end of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Grogu's back with Luke. Din's going to go off with the others, and maybe like the fight for Mandalore will be a separate show a few years from now. But this is the end of the Mandalorian. It could this could work could as be. a final yeah, episode. Yeah, it does. And yeah. now the Mandalorian production crew and and machinery moves over to do this Boba Fett show, sure. right? Yeah. But that's not what's happening. What is what was still a little unclear from the interview is the timing. It certainly sounds like he's saying we're getting both shows next December, but that seems why wouldn't they spread them out, right? Right, right. I think more likely what they were fibbing a little bit when they said Mandalorian season 3 next December. I think what I think what's probably going to happen is that we get the book of Boba Fett in December and then it goes right from the final episode of that to the first episode of Mandalorian season 3 the next week. I think we get we're getting them back to back. So we might be looking at more like Boba Fett in December and then Mandalorian in January or February. Okay. Or we could be getting them both in December and they're going to run two different days of the week back to back and kind of feed off each other in an interesting way and maybe have some interest because we know that the Ahsoka and Marshals of the New Republic series are going to kind of tie into the Mandalorian and cross over in interesting ways and build to some big climax. Maybe this Boba Fett thing will do the same thing. Like maybe Din shows up 
in in the Boba Fett series near the end to to do something like to fight him or whatever. It's like, oh, I thought you were an honorable man, but now you're a criminal. So I've got, you know what I mean. Yeah. And then that leads into Mandalorian yeah. season three. Like, so I'm a little. What's still a little unclear is the timing. But rest assured, we are getting more, you know, dedicated Mandalorian stuff. It's just this is additive. It's a new show that they didn't talk about at the investor thing because they didn't want to sport, which I think is admirable because they could have gotten a lot of press and fan excitement and said, oh, we're also doing a Boba Fett show. And everybody kind of expected that and they were scratching their heads when it wasn't happening because like you've got Tamora Morrison do a Boba Fett show or a Rex show or something with him, right? Yeah. But they didn't announce it, but they were, they didn't want to spoil us, which I think is admirable. So we are getting both. So mm-hmm. it's the best of both worlds. Yep. We're just a little unclear. We've got to wait a year and we're a little unclear on like how they're going to be rolling them out in conjunction. But that at least is. Right. Is that. And that last shot of him like reclining like <laughs> hedonism bot style yep. on Jabba's throne while Fennec is like throwing back that, that jug of blue alcohol, whatever yep. it was. Like that could be like a, that was like a Frank Rosetta painting. I heard someone say like that is like beautiful. you could take that and that is like an awesome and just an awesome shot. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, and it's a beautiful frame. Pa- uh, Peyton Reed directed this one. I'm like, man, Stop. the action sequences in this wow. are great. Like this has got to be John Favreau or Deborah Chow or, right. or Robert Rodriguez again or something, right? No, it was Peyton Reed who did the Spider episode, which was like our least favorite one. Yeah, you know, the Ant Man director, and we're like, oh yeah, he's the Ant Man director. Yeah, he's good at action, but he's really more of like a, a characters bouncing mm-hmm. off each other, kind of wacky kind of guy. But no, no there was na- but this was like an part. action spectacle yeah, episode, and it was I'm like, this has got to be either Favreau or, or Deborah Chow or yeah. you know maybe Taika Waititi, but it really seems like one of the more action oriented to directors but no it's like the you know the quirky kind of (laughs) rom-com marvel guy you know beautiful um yeah i was surprised but and the season finale certainly seems like it would go to one of like your resident directors right like either favreau himself or one of the people that you know yeah that has been there since the beginning like deborah chow but she's off doing the obi-wan stuff i guess okay um yeah but it was really good really good finale yeah, it was, it was, um, hey, did we finish our activity? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure you gave Luke a number, but what, what would you? I'm going to say eight, just because the. I think I'd have to go lower just because as cool as it was, and, was, like if I'd read, if I read the script for this, yeah. I think it would be like a 10. Yeah, but, exactly. But, but seeing it in person, the way, I, the way it was, just the way the visuals were executed really knocked it down. And it's, it's nobody's it fault, it really. It's too bad because it could have been such an awesome moment if it was executed perfectly. But I think I'd have to go like six or seven just because I was taken out of it constantly. Like every moment was, he was on screen, yeah. I was like, show him less. Like keep the hood down or something. Like yeah. it's t- You know what I mean? Because they could have done that. They, they could have kept the hood down the whole time and you hear the voice mm-hmm. and you instantly know that it's him. Or you have, if you want the audience to be super clear without showing his face, someone like Kara, who would know him because she fought in the rebellion, yeah, it could be like you know Skywalker or something like that. Really, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool that nobody mentioned his name here, but you could get away with that because you see his face, right? But I feel like could, they could have done a thing where you see his face less, but somebody mentions his name just in case, or keep it. Or if you're if this is your first Star Wars thing, mm-hmm. you don't even need to. You don't even know or care who Luke Skywalker is if it's possible to not know that already. Yeah, he's just some Jedi because Din Djarin doesn't know who he is, right? Nope. There's just some guy that walks in. So keep yep. the keep the audience in the dark too. And if you recognize Mark Hamill's voice or recognize the fact that he's got the one glove or uses the green lightsaber yeah, right yeah. Which, which was also cool i feel like we keep trying to I move on and we keep coming back you see like it all is lost the dark troopers are busting through the door and someone's like well, there's one x-wing coming in and, you're mm-hmm. like, and uh, immediately i'm like well my mind says that has to be luke because i mean either some random x-wing pilot which would I not help at was. all yeah I didn't here really comes connect. dave filoni's character right? <laughs> to save everybody right or it's luke right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you see like a robed figure get out. I'm like, okay, it's got to be Luke. And then you see the the gloved hand. You're like, okay. And then I love you see, that Kara was the one that said, oh, an X-wing. We're saved. <laughs> yeah. Then the green lightsaber. And then you like the it's the exact same green lightsaber too. Like it's his lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. And you know, yeah. at that point, you obviously know that it's him. But yeah, that was just the build up where you're like, can it be? Can it be? You know, is yeah, it possible? Yeah. And then you yep. get more and more indications that it is yep. until you finally reveal, mm-hmm. and that was really well done. Yeah. Um, so Star Trek Discovery, Wait, did you have one, one last more thing, thing to say? Yes, um, I thought it was really astute of some people to point out that the way that Luke sliced and diced through uh, a lot of the droids was very similar to uh, how Vader destroyed it was more like It was more droids. like the reveal shot, like him yeah. with the doors opening mm-hmm. with like steam or mist or something. That shot was very similar. Him there in black with the green lightsaber. Somebody very did a really to, nice to bit of art that you the, showed yeah. me where it sort of looked like reflections and mirrors, uh, like a... A pool. On, I think that was probably intentional too. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm certain of it. I'm certain of it. It was. It was very artfully done, though. I really like it. The little tip of the cap to that scene too, because that was a great scene, for all the faults of those movies. And well, that depending oh, yeah. on yeah, how yeah, you yeah. feel about those movies, but I think everybody likes that one. Okay. Yeah, that one's okay. I think it's um, mostly the last couple of uh, 
like main sequel trilogy movies that that are more contentious, particularly yes, yes. the Rise of Skywalker. But I think everybody thinks the spinoffs like Rogue One and Solo were were pretty good, just not yeah. you know earth shattering, but good. Right. But yeah, that was a nice. That was a really good one. And uh, I actually one last thing that I'll mention. I keep saying that. I was a little thrown for the loop because the way that um, Din was crack, uh, taking shots at the armor and stuff, I thought for sure that there would be a big stunning slap in the face reveal that not only were the dark troopers made out of robots, like, but that <laughs> made out of robots, but um, that they were literally armed with Beskar. Yeah, I thought I, for sure that's where people they were speculated going with that. that might, and and we don't know that it's not true. There was just nobody there to confirm or deny it mm. that knew in those scenes, right? Because nobody else was around. There were no other humans. In I those just scenes. thought that it was. I know. I just thought that it was um, telling when Din was fighting it, and all of the shots were bouncing off of the stormtrooper in the same way that the shots were bouncing off of his armor. And I thought that's yeah. what the or it could just be really, some other really really because t- we've seen droids and stuff before or like or or tanks in Star Wars that yeah. are so tough that blaster bolts just bounce yeah, off. Yeah, but them. like so a stormtrooper would have definitely de- like he's taking shots. Well, at no, you know what? We know that it's not Beskar because oh. Luke Luke's lightsaber is cutting through them like butter. Exactly. Whereas we know that Beskar can uh, can repel a lightsaber for at least a little while. Right. So we know it's not Beskar. Right. Which was yeah, I know. Um, I was just. The only thing I had to go off of uh, in terms of their strength point, was Din's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't know, but that that was my theory disproven. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, so Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, Star so Trek this Discovery. Is Terra Firma Part Part Two. So good. Yep. So I'm not sure I have a lot to say about the Mirror Universe stuff. It was all really good and interesting, and the performances were were fun and campy Amazing, and dark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I like the campy and dark. I mean, I love that the actors had fun with it. I could tell that the Mirror Universe is a nice cathartic release. The one thing that I've seen be... people say, which I think is kind of true, is that every that that Burnham especially was so like almost over the top evil, like ranting, psychotic evil, like licking her. You know what I mean? Like every, she was so out for blood. She wasn't licking her knife. That was the other guy. Well, who but did she that. was sh- oh, but anyway. like she was so even more so than all the other characters. Right? Sure. Like, she was the well, most bloodthirsty, psychotic God. of mm-hmm. any of them, and it, like. This is the character that we've been hearing uh, Giorgio romanticize and say, "Oh, like yes. she was, she was my daughter, and like you're nothing, you're nothing compared to her." Like this ranting lunatic, you know what I mean? Like, right. but, I mean, yeah. maybe she was hiding her true self all those years, and it's, but I, or maybe, the, but I think what we're supposed to. So it was a little over the, over the top for me, but I think that what we're supposed to think is much like Giorgio didn't know how bad she had it at the, like she didn't know what what a crappy universe she was living in at the time she didn't know what a crappy daughter she had either it's only now that she sees the prime universe and the prime burnham yeah that in retrospect she's like yeah you always were a bit of a nut job right like she still loves her because it's still her daughter that she raised yeah but she can see more clearly now all the all the flaws that she has yeah. you know and the, the necessity of trying to of even killing her if it comes down to it right yeah um but the the then at the end we get the uh the reveal that uh, the Carl is a, is the guardian of forever. Yeah, that was wonderful. Which is cool. And yeah. he had they have the voice clip in there from the TOS episode. I and it am forms, the guardian of forever. Forms the gate. And it kind of so looks like good. a much more modern version of the one from that episode. Yeah. And and George was presented with the choice, which we all predicted she they would be, which is that he's going to send her back in time. Right. Um, I think everybody's assuming she's going back to like dis- like season one, two Discovery era, just because everybody's assuming that they're going to follow some of the plot threads there from section 31 with control and ash tyler still right, working for se- exactly but they, he didn't say that specifically here he just said you're going back to a time when you're the universes were more closely aligned so people are speculating that it could it be would, a surprise could be anything. the sec- the setting for her show could be a different time period yep. it could be like in in the days of enterprise mm-hmm. when section 31 was first getting started or it could be it could be putting her back in like picard times mm-hmm. or, or sometime after picard but before this current season of Discovery, we don't know. All we know is that what what um, not John Carpenter, wrong director, um, David Cronenberg okay. said was that the last crossover was like 500 years ago, and the, the universes have been moving farther apart. But 500 years ago from this point is still several hundred years past right. the most recent crossover we saw in Deep Space Nine. So anywhere in there, there could the universes are still closely aligned enough yeah. that she could still live out the rest of her lifespan. Yeah. So we actually don't know, and I don't think it's been confirmed anywhere, when her series is going to be set. I yep. think we're just kind of assuming it'll be TOS era because that way they can have Ash Tyler in there and they could follow up some of the plot threads from seasons one of two in Discovery Light Control, like Laurel and the Klingons. They could, It could basically mm-hmm. be the heir to the first couple of seasons of Discovery, mm-hmm. except with more of like an espionage bent, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I think that's really cool. The only thing, and I saw people on 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 the internet. Surprised people on the internet were complaining about things, but I do think there's some <laughs> basis for this. Is that there have been people like all along through, throughout all ever since she came over and like joined the crew at the end of season one mm-hmm. that have been kind of uneasy about that and how the rest of the and how the crew kind of tolerate anywhere from tolerates to like pals around with her because she's basically like hitler right like she was she was responsible for the she ruled her universe with an iron hand she's responsible for genocides like in the in the season one she was like like, literally like eating the flesh of her enemies right yeah she's like she's like space hitler yeah and everybody's like oh that quirky georgia with her witty barbs and her oh what a scamp right it's like you're talking about essentially hitler right now i understand there are mitigating factors which is she comes from this evil universe like it's a whole like nature versus nurture thing like she had like everybody there she's like as we see here she's like the least bad yeah of that universe yeah. but still pretty bad right mm-hmm. and yet and so the only the only thing that that I, I wasn't like burnham developed this relationship with her she spent more time with her she saw more sides of her plus she had like pre-existing emotional buy-in because of her sort of motherly relationship with prime Giorgio, right. right that i buy that michael would miss her that would, would that would cry you know, all this stuff. But the way the whole rest of the crew is there at the end and they're all wistful, varying degrees of wistful about her and like raising a glass to her. Like, Saru maybe because again, like she helped them out a couple of times. But the rest of the crew is like, again, you're basically talking about Space Hitler and everybody's like, oh yeah, she was, what, what, she, you know, what a scamp. We're going to miss her. You know, like, would the, the people that didn't really get to know her that well, wouldn't they just be like, but she's super evil, right? Like, why are we, why are we missing her again? Was there a memo? You know, I'm not quite clear why everybody was so sad I, that she left when she's like an evil person, basically, at least so far as all of them were able to see, except for Michael. She spent many years on the ship with them. Well, so like one, if that. No, like two, I think. But um, no, way less than that, actually, because season one of Discovery led directly into season two with Pike and the Enterprise showing up. And then season two led directly into season three, where they jumped to the future. Michael spent that one year looking for them, but they didn't experience that year. No, I know. So she's been hanging out for maybe a few months on their show. And she wasn't even there for most of that time. She was with Section 31. She didn't actually end up like coming and living on the ship until very end, the very end of season two when she decided to stay and go to the future with them. So most of these people barely even met her. They just interacted mm-hmm. with her basically for the for season three that we've seen this year. I don't know. I mean, I think I could I could buy in, especially since, you know, crew is like family and they talk to each other. So if Mary Wiseman's character, what's her name? Tilly. If Tilly was saved with Saru in the bar shop or whatever, that story would circulate and people would be like, oh, thank goodness Giorgio was there. Wow, that's really clever. Yeah, I could see them being that. thankful that she's you know there I mean? because she gets yeah. the job done. But I guess it just, it seemed a little much to me that a lot of these I people who had very few interactions with her would would be that sad that she was gone when when what they know like to read the reports and from what they're to- what they're told she comes from this universe where yeah. she was responsible for like millions of deaths like oh i guess i should i guess i should be sad that she's gone because she saved my friend that one time like i think that i i would hope that adult members of starfleet are capable of parsing the moral you know you universe understand. a bit a bit more in a bit more right. of a nuanced fashion but i know i know but i don't think that everybody in starfleet would hold it against her for being evil when she comes literally for the most evil universe that is known to them you know like she she was evil because that's where she came from like that's her everybody was evil in that universe like everybody and she was the most evil of them all to survive so that speaks to her yeah i don't know um savvy to be able to survive in an environment like that but and you, you that, might but know that in, you might know intellectually that right but, but and it's i the same, think it's there's the same a thing certain that... cognitive dissonance that comes from that because you're so far dis- disconnected from that that you don't really compute millions of lives lost as something that you can understand in your universe you know it's the same thing in the real world right like yes there are people that are quote-unquote bad people because of a genetic mutation or a lack of some neurotransmitter in their brain or or whatever but the majority of people that do bad things do it because of their you know the how they grew up or the circum their circumstances their environment poverty you know, whatever, right? Dire right. economic circumstances or, you know, bad neighborhoods or whatever, right? 
and but we we understand that but then when when someone goes to court and they're like oh yeah like i was a i was a mob leader who was responsible for like 2000 deaths over my life yeah. and massive shoot shootings and i killed police officers and i blew up buildings with kids inside and i ate their flesh yeah. you know <laughs> which is a thing that you know she did where she's like eating the flesh of her enemies yeah. and well i think yes we might inter- understand intellectually and certainly our our legal system is kind of set up to be like kind of give people the benefit of the doubt and like oh well they're a product of a bad environment but i think that the vast majority of people in our in the real world in the present day would look at someone like that and not say Oh, they're a product of their environment. I'm sure they're really trying to be a good guy. Like, no, either execute that person or put them in jail for life, right? Yeah. And if that person were to disappear one day, you wouldn't, you know, you, even if they did you a solid one time, if you saw all the, th- if you knew all the things that they did over their life, you wouldn't be like, oh, maybe they weren't such a bad guy after all. You might, you might be able to give them like a solemn nod, like, hmm, you know, like, hmm, like, a, right. like, hmm, but you wouldn't be like, Oh, I'll raise a glass to you, my my genocidal friend. You know what I mean? Like right. I think that that's what seemed a little too. I what I would have what I would have preferred is the rest of the crew goes on about their business because they barely knew her and they don't care one way or the other, right? Saru, Tilly, the few people that kind of knew her best. Yeah. Maybe they gather in in the ready room in Saru's office or whatever, and they have a talk about her, and they're like, you know, she did all this bad stuff, but you know, yeah, like all the things that you said, right? Yeah. And, but Saru and Tilly are pretty matter-of-fact about it because they didn't really like her per se. They just kind of like got along with her better than most and maybe respe- respected right. her to a slightly higher degree. Yeah. And then there's another scene with Burnham where we see that she has a more emotional, maybe with Book, like the person she can open up to. Right. Where we see she has this more emotional reaction. And so like, that's what I would, it's the fact that the entire crew gather there and raise the glass to her. Like, like as, if, another like as if Spock or a, Data just died, right? There was you know another I mean? two-part episode. I'm remembering this just now, and maybe this will help you understand why the crew might be more like on board with paying her at least a nod or or coming to a memorial service, like just to to um, you know pay their respects in in just a small degree. You're right. I, I'm sure that just our core crew is our core core cast is really interested in her because they got to know her the way we got to know her but um i think that one thing that could be said about it is that all of the crew the the, of the discovery went to the mirror universe don't forget and the only reason they got out back alive after seeing what they saw and doing what they had to do is because of Giorgio. she saved them all and so i think there's a certain after you've experienced what the universe is that she came from, you have a deeper understanding. I don't remember that. How did she save them? I don't remember. I, I remember just, Michael throwing she, Lorca into space she was and the one, burning up. Sure. Yeah, no, no. I remember that. That was a thing did that Giorgio happened. Did Giorgio spare Michael's life because because of, of her, Michael Burnham, and then Michael was able to go on? Like, I don't remember her saving everybody. I, I just remember that she was the one that tutored them on how to survive in the thing, how to not to tip their hands, how to dress, how to do everything. She prepared the entire crew to believably be Terran for as long as they needed to to uh, execute their mission. Do you remember this? And then they were able no, to escape back into the... I don't remember that at all. She tutored them? Well, I mean, Why she would she do around. that? She just she was the one that gave everybody the guidelines in order to be able to survive in the mirror universe because the whole ship went into the mirror universe. I remember universe. that. I just right. don't remember I remember her being an antagonist in those episodes and that that's why it was so surprising that that Burnham brought her back with her at the end. Oh. I don't remember, oh, her, I'm saving. Misremembering I don't remember her saving everybody. I thought for sure that she was the one that was telling everybody how how everything worked and like how to survive through there. Am I really misremembering no, it that poorly? So. I don't think so. Oh, forget everything I said. Forget it. <laughs> you might as well cut it out. <laughs> Okay, so never mind. So that point doesn't stand. I have to go back and rewatch that episode because I was so sure that she was a good guy in that episode, but she was a bad guy, you're saying? Well, yeah, they got there and she was the emperor. Like, well, why yeah. would she suddenly be like, oh, let me help you all destroy my I flagship? I thought they got back and- there. I thought they, at that point, I thought they, they had already synced up with her, but you're right. That's when they actually saw her. No, they, yeah. they, I mean, they basically Because they were just, chasing Lorca, right? They blew up, they, they blew up her flagship and killed Lorca and, and, um, and, and like kind of got her, you know, she was in trouble at the end there because she, they basically dismantled her entire, her flagship and her army and so on. And so she was kind of adrift there. And so Michael brought her back basically against her will with them to the, to the main universe. And she didn't even she didn't even really want to be there. But she's like, well, if I if, if I leave you here, you're probably going to get killed because everybody's trying to kill you. So I'll bring you back here because I care about my Giorgio and you remind me of her. And that way you'll be safe. 
and she didn't even want to come back, but she wasn't helping them over there. She was she was not the main villain, Lorca was, but she was definitely not on their side. She didn't even you know, she didn't even realize immediately that, that they were from a different universe. She just thought that her Michael had somehow survived because in, in that timeline she had died in some explosion or whatever and instead of being run through like she was here in this episode. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, it's plausible that you survived, so let me. And so everybody was trying to pretend they were their mirror universe selves. Yeah, okay, I screwed that up. Yeah, I don't remember that episode as clearly as I thought I did. Okay, so yeah, so I gaffed, I gaffed on that one. I thought she was more helpful in that one. Yeah, you're right. Okay, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. The the way the story was laid out for me, because we got to know Giorgio so nicely, um, it didn't seem too far off that at least some people um, showed up to the memorial service. And, and it wasn't packed. Like, it wasn't a full crew compliment. So it's not like everybody showed up anyway. Well, I mean, there's only like 100 and some odd people on the crew, and there were like 20 people in that room. So I think well, they, they need a certain number so. of people that have to be either asleep at any time or running the ship. So I think that it was probably a pretty significant percentage of people that that were that it would even be possible for them to come to a social gathering at all any right, given all time. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> anyway. I just wanted to finally mention like the last two things that were on my mind is when she was talking to Saru um, the in the mirror universe and he's very, very cowed and a servant and, you know, just not the Saru that we know at all. Um, I think my favorite two lines when they had that conversation in the briefing room was when she told him that the um, Vahare, the Vaharai was, you know, basically survivable. And nobody knew that. And the culling was a whole big scam to keep them suppressed um, because they actually came out of that experience even stronger than they ever were before. And he says, you know, his first thoughts are about, oh, my gosh, my family, my my mom, my sisters, my my sister, my my dad and everything else. And she says she interrupts him. She sees his pain and she says, survive. That's how you honor them. And then. And then he goes on to say, like, but but, you know, whatever, because he's still reeling from this tremendous bit of knowledge and she says tell others that's how you avenge them i thought that was such brilliant writing and that's when saru recognizes that she's she, he's like you're not terran you're they're gonna kill you um with such concern and emotion in his voice i thought that was just a beautifully written scene and doug jones is so awesome and um michelle yao is so awesome and i just i wanted to give a special shout out to that particular scene because it was just so good so good um, and I love the whole multiverse act um, bent on the whole thing. I just really I enjoyed the last episodes and her growth and what we saw in the last couple episodes for her. So Well, it, it raises an interesting question too. those scenes, because then they get back there and, mm -hmm. and Paul Guilfoyle says, you know, you saved him and he'll save a lot of others. Yep. And, and so everybody's mind start racing like, wait, so was that? real that wasn't just like a little dream or pocket universe or whatever yeah. like did they actually change the history of the mirror universe what i what i like to what i imagine happened was that um much in the same way the narada and spock going back in time in star trek 2009 created the Kelvin timeline, which was like a branch from the mm -hmm. prime timeline, mm -hmm. this event maybe created like a branch mirror universe timeline because mm -hmm. there's the mirror universe and the prime universe, but then there's like many, many, there's like an infinite number of alternate timelines. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be a distinction in Star Trek between like timelines and universes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, or at least like universes are like more like, I don't know more foundational in some way you know mm -hmm, what i mean mm -hmm. like timelines can branch off from right from the main universe so you've or, got or the something. terran universe with multiple timelines branching off of it or yeah the main because universe it doesn't seem like branches. because everything yeah. and people talk about this on the reddit all the time they debate this it doesn't really seem like the mirror universe is a branch from the main universe because there doesn't seem to be one particular point in history when they diverged right like it seems like it goes like at least like back to like shakespeare times and so, or like yeah. the roman empire yeah. and so, like I mean, maybe there was some small moment like thousands of years ago where they diverged, but at that point, it's almost like academic. It's, right. it's just like they're too different at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and yet they somehow stay synced in the way that like it doesn't matter how different everything is. There's a ship named the Enterprise with Kirk and Spock on it. There's a ship named the Discovery with Georgiou and Saru on it and, and Burnham. Like there's And then hundreds of years later, there's an O'Brien and a Cisco and a Dax and they all know each other. And you know what I mean? Yep, like it yep. doesn't matter how different they are. They kind of stay synced up in a mm -hmm, weird way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like an interesting relationship anyway. So it, but it, it caused people to wonder if this has now changed 
retcon the events of like season one and their yeah. initial mirror universe adventure or just created like a branch timeline from that mm-hmm. um we may never know it may not matter um if, it, if there's if there's ever cause to return to the mirror universe in the tos era mm-hmm. like if say for example the section 31 show does take place again in the tos era and Giorgio goes back to the mirror universe again. Mm-hmm. Might seem a little repetitive, but say they do something like that, then we might find out. But barring that, like by the time of discovery, those universes are so far apart, seemingly mm-hmm. that we'll never know. Mm-hmm. So it, it might it might not really matter. But you know, it's it's just kind of interesting because I did that one line has a lot of implications because mm-hmm. everybody was just sort of I think everybody kind of assumed that it was just a testing ground, little because pocket with the, universe. Because sure. with the Guardian of Forever in the TOS episode. Mm-hmm. Kirk had to set things right. Like they couldn't yeah. come back until they set history right. Yep. Whereas here, things happen very differently. And Carl was like, yeah, it, it's interesting. A lot of things are going to be different. And we're like, wait, <laughs> did the rules change? Because it seems like you weren't that cool with Kirk and Spock and McCoy changing things. They had to let his yeah his 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 soulmate get friggin' hit by a car before you would bring them back. Yep. Um, yep. But whatever. <laughs> So, yeah. So maybe he's gotten more laid back in his in his uh, old age because it has been like a thousand years since that since that other episode. But who knows? It just it's just kind of interesting that it seems like the rules are a little bit different here. But anyway. Yeah. Well, see, the way I justified it, if I could just counterpoint what I was saying, because for me it fits within the universe. Because even though Giorgio uh, spared Michael and then later killed her, that kind of set itself right. Um, George, the circumstances Lorca, are so, Lorca, so different, though. Right, but Lorca was still on the run from her, and so he still could have gotten transported to the Prime Universe yeah. in a transporter the big, accident. The big, and, the big things could have happened. Right, but. exactly, exactly. So, I mean, those little things, exactly. And and in just like the episode in the TOS where Kirk ultimately had to set things right by letting Edith Keeler die, um, and that set things right, um, that... In the same way, in in these episodes, you see that there's not a lot of consequence to Giorgio's squashing the um, the alliance that was forming between the Andorians and the Vulcans and everything else. The Pro well, that, that has that has repercussions. That was several years ahead like because that was several years ahead so they could have reforged that alliance by themselves do you know what i'm saying like that could have squashed whatever because she even mentioned it like in an offhanded comment oh those things are always on a diplomatic thing all you have to do is you know say the say the right thing to the right person and the whole thing just dissolves itself and and that's true but um at the same time the people who are trying to do the right thing also give push back and so it's entirely plausible that that it 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 was dismantled earlier but it came back together in time to meet and help Burnham's team um, when that time came. So there's, there's plenty of there's plenty of uh, precedent too in Star Trek of things being changed a little bit, but not enough to really change the course of history. Exactly, like how history suddenly records that Gabriel Bell looks exactly like Benjamin Sisko, right? Or how history suddenly records that Zephram Cochran's co-pilots look a lot like William Riker and Geordi LaForge for some reason, right? And, that and didn't the fact seem like that Saru and the fact that Saru knew about the the Vaharai and was able to save a whole bunch of Kelpians doesn't really affect anything because we don't know what happened to the Kelpians. We don't know about the Kelpians in the Terran universe. They were just not a, another subjugated race, and maybe a pocket of them or a small subset of them were able to escape and uh, live out the rest of their lives in peace and big whoop. I even saw some people speculating that maybe this is what was ultimately supposed to happen and that Saru and the Kelpians might end up like um, joining with Spock's kind of like counter thing Mm -hmm. in TOS and that ultimately leads to all the reforms and so on. And maybe this is is sort of setting things the way that they were always supposed to unfold in the mirror universe. Right, exactly. So uh, the long-term implications of her several months stay don't really bear a lot of long-term consequences that change anything that we saw in the first two seasons yeah maybe that's how i think about it that's how i sleep at night (laughs) so yeah so if you want to reach out uh we have an email address mailbag at smartspodcast.com our facebook is facebook.com slash smartspodcast our twitter is at smartspodcast and um our website is www.smartspodcast.com how about a funny sound for us i don't have one how about whoosh, that's um the strong Kelpian slamming somebody into a ceiling? Ooh. <laughs>